You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking Rates and Lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, everyone. This is Rico Mohammed coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. This is the Rates and Lanes podcast, where we are committed to talking about rates and lanes and helping you increase your bottom line. Tonight, we have a very special guest. We have the uh, CEO of Farm to Fleet, Mr. Bill Hood, will be joining us here in just a second. Very excited. We're going to have a very stimulating conversation. But we are going to start out the show in our normal format, as we usually do, and um Talk about the USDA Fruit and Vegetable Truck Rate Report. And this week on the USDA Truck Rate Report, there are only there's only one market that is showing a shortage, and that market is Aristotle County, Maine. There are a couple of markets that are showing a slight shortage on the report. That's San Luis Valley, Colorado, Michigan, Minnesota, and North Dakota. Eastern North Carolina, Nebraska, and New York. Uh, also, one more, Yakima Valley and Washington State. Those are the only markets that are showing any indications of shortages and slight shortages. Again, the uh, USDA truck rate report for fruit and vegetables is a very detailed report. Uh, we don't have enough time to go over it in depth here on the podcast, but if you ever want to see this report for yourself, you can always just go to Google, type in USDA Fruit and Vegetable Truck Rate Report. Tons of information there to be found. If you want to be playing the spot market and if you have any type of uh, equipment, because normally some uh, fruit and vegetables can be loaded on just about anything. If you know your equipment, you know what you will be able to load, but I just advise just uh, a handy tool to put in your toolbox. Every week, the fruit and vegetable truck rate report comes out on Wednesday. So just keep that in mind, and we'll go on and move on from there and move over to the DAT Trend Lines report for this week of January 25th through the 31st. And the Trend Lines report is going to lead us into a little bit of the discussion that I want to have with Bill tonight. Um, been getting a lot of questions and stuff on Facebook and different messages from people talking about the different, uh, talking about the slowdown, when is the freight going to pick back up. And let's just jump right into the DAT report. And it starts off with uh, typically slow season. Uh, January is typically the slow season in the spot market. For uh, for this year, it returns back to the regular pattern. Low volumes and rates continue to drift down for vans, reefers, and flatbeds. These uh, these things are still relatively strong for flatbeds, still have a pretty decent season for, for some uh, areas in flatbeds. But let's get into the depth of the meat of the matter, and we're going to jump into the national van demand and capacity. And for January 25th through the 31st, van freight availability continued to adjust seasonally with an 8.4% decline, while capacity added another 19% compared to the previous week. The load-to-truck ratio declined 25% to 2.2 from 2. I'm excuse me, from 2.2 to 2 loads per truck. January capacity added 11%. The load-to-truck ratio averaged 2.8 for vans in January and a season decline from a typical high December levels. Low availability slipped 16% and capacity added 11% month over month. We're going to move right over into the U.S. van rates for January the 25th through the 31st. National average rates for vans dipped two cents last week to a dollar ninety four per mile, including the fuel. The line haul portion of the rate rose one cent, as did the average fuel surcharge. January rates st- uh, stable versus twenty fourteen. The monthly average van rates slipped fourteen cents compared to December, including an eight cent decline in the fuel surcharge. Compared to January of twenty fourteen. 
the total rate was unchanged as line haul rates rose to offset a 17 cents drop in the fuel surcharge. And we're going to go around the country and take a look at rates on national average for dry vans. National average coming out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania reports back at the $1 and 60 cents, uh, one sixty-six per mile. Atlanta checks in with a $1 and 90 cents per mile average. Chicago shows a $2.08 per mile average. Dallas checks in at $1.73 per mile on average. Angeles checks in with a $1.92 per mile on average. Just a reminder that these are these these rates are spot market rates out of these uh, prospective cities throughout the country. And that wraps up the U.S. National Van Report. Let's move on over to U.S. flatbed, and we're going to check into the national flatbed demand and capacity for January 25th and 31st through the 31st. Flatbed load availability dipped 3.2%, and truck load capacity edged up 0.2% last week. Resulting load-to-truck ratio held steady at 10 loads per truck. Flatbed demand dips 6.1%. Low volume dipped 6.1% for flatbeds in January compared to December, and capacity increased 18%, yielding a 21% decline in the load-to-truck ratio month over month. The ratio slid 27% compared to January 2014. Extreme weather led to a typical, atypical demand for all equipment types. Going into U.S. flatbed rates for 25th to the 31st, flatbed rates were unchanged last week at $2.21 per mile as a national average. Rates slipped $0.08 cents in January. The national average rate for flatbeds fell $0.08, cents, which is a 3.5% decline in January to $2.21 per mile compared to January of 2014. However, flatbed rates rose $0.12 cents per mile despite declining fuel surcharges. Checking in around the country, the average rates coming out of Harrisburg shows a $3.29 per mile average. Atlanta checks in at $2.41 per mile on average. Rock Island shows $2.60 per mile on average. Houston, Texas, $2.41 per mile on average. Phoenix, Arizona rounds out our West Coast swing at $1.57 per mile on average. Moving on to the national reefer demand and capacity for January the 25th through the 31st. Demand for reefers declined percent last week and capacity added 3.6% in a typical trend for late January. The resulting load-to-truck ratio dipped 11% from 6.9 to 6.1 reefer loads per truck. January ratio dips 14%, reefer load availability declined 11%, and the capacity added 3.3%, gets you to that 14 in January. Compared to December, the resulting load to truck ratio dipped 14% to 9.1 compared to the extreme weather-driven demand of January 2014 the ratio declined 36%. Moving on to U.S. reefer rates for the 25th to the 31st. National average for reefer fell $0.03 cents last week to $2.24 per mile, signaling a more typical slower winter season. Rates up $0.18 cents versus 2014. Reefer rates $0.08 cents in January when compared to the December national average but rose 18 cents compared to January 2014. This is why it's always important, guys, to um, keep historical benchmarks of your rates. Um, if you have software programs, uh, you can compare year over year what you've been doing. And it it kind of helps keep everything in perspective. Don't just go with more, uh, based off of emotions. Kind of make more rational decisions by le looking at the numbers and let the numbers tell you exactly what's go really going on. And checking in around the country, 
out of Elizabeth, New Jersey. National average shows $2.08. Moving down into the southeast part of the country, Lakeland, Florida, checks in at $1.53. Midwest, Green Bay, Wisconsin, checks in at $2.81 per mile. South Central, McAllen, Texas, shows a strong rate of $2.27 per mile. And Fresno, California, wraps up Coast Swing with an average of $2.08 per mile. So with that said, and no further ado, I'd like for us to bring in and welcome uh, Mr. Bill Hood from Farm to Fleet. Bill, are you there? Yes, I am. Here you go. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we want to uh, welcome Mr. Bill Hood into the Race Main Podcast. This is his second appearance, and we want to uh, congratulate Bill and his entire team over at Farm to Fleet for becoming for being awarded uh, 2015 Best Fleets to Drive for. This this is a major accomplishment, and uh, thought it would be a great opportunity to bring Bill on and and maybe try and pick his brain to. Uh, get some ideas and also discuss some situations that are going on and give you guys an opportunity to uh, get at Bill and, like I said, just pick his brain on some different things that may help you along your way and uh, down the road with improving your business. So with that said, Bill, I'm going to follow the way and kind of let you uh, take over for a second and, and maybe tell us a little bit about how you guys at Farm the Fleet were able to accomplish becoming the uh, 2015 Best Fleets to Drive for. <laughs> okay. Um, first of all, uh, thank you for having me on again. Uh, I vividly remember the last time and we had a blast and time flew. So I'm looking forward to this time. Um, and thank you for, uh, for the recognition. Uh, you know, the, the secret really is no secret. Um, when we, we look back and it's kind of hard to believe it. At some point we look back, it seems like four years seems forever, but it's really only been four years that we released on our first uh, owner operator, actually less than that. So to go from, you know, me driving a truck to four years later, sitting here, um, being one of the named one of the top 20 fleets to drive for in North America. And, uh, what makes the honor even, you know, even more special for us is it's primarily based on uh, feedback that our drivers gave to uh, Truckload Carrier Association and Carrier's Edge and the work that Mark Morell does over there. So uh, this is it's really a great honor for us. But, you know, four years ago when we started uh, looking at this, my wife and I, she made a, a very big point of, you know, we're not going to be in this business if uh, we have to run the business and the only way for us to actually make a living at this is if we treat people the way most drivers out there have been treated. And uh, so that was kind of the, the foundation, the guiding principle of, of where we started things at, at far the fleet. And we would ask ourselves a lot of questions as well, if a driver doesn't like this, or if an owner operator doesn't like the way this is happening and what's happening within the business, why is that? Do we have to do the same things? Uh, probably, you know, the biggest example I'd give is we're, we're a percentage-based carrier. So all of our drivers are paid 80% of the gross line haul. Uh, but there's this, this acceptance out there that carriers are skimming off the top. So if a carrier says a load is, is running for $1,000, uh, the driver just assumes that the carrier is making 1100 or 1200 off that, and he's only getting 80% of a fraction of that. So uh, we started giving the – we said right off the bat, we'll give the drivers copies of the rate confirmations, copies of the invoices. Um, so that's, that's kind of a, an example of – it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And people said we were crazy from the beginning. And um, what's interesting now is there's a lot of these people that said we were crazy are now coming back and saying, wow, what a brilliant model. Why don't more people do it? So, um, <laughs> it really just kind of started out as this, this crazy idea of, uh, we can, we can do things different. If we can't, then, you know, we'll move on. We'll find another business opportunity. I'll get back. You know, I'll stay in the truck. I'll continue to drive a truck. I made a good living as an independent owner operator. Um, we can continue to do that. So, uh, fortunately we've, we've changed some lives and we've had some long nights, long weeks and, 
but we've had some fun along the way. Met some great people as well. So let me ask you this question, Bill. Why? Why did you want to go, instead of just being a one-truck operation, why did you want to, what made you desire, have a desire to, to do this, uh, this gaudy thing of, of having a big fleet? Um, for, for me, and actually for, for Lauren and myself, our, our real goal is we like the mentorship and the training aspect of anything that we do. Uh, we like working with people. We like helping people take things to the next level, better themselves, um, achieve, achieve things in their lives they never thought was possible. So in, in starting this, in going down this direction, it didn't matter if we were opening a chain of, of, um, of sandwich shops or it, we were a carrier, we were probably going to automatically gravitate to being towards a mentorship type of business that we, if we got into a business. Um, so the first off, in that respect, the owner-operator side was more of a natural fit for us trying to work with owner-operators that were business-minded and wanted to be a business owner first rather than somebody who bought a job and just happens to to have all the all the overhead and all the risk but still effectively works like a, a company driver. Um, we were going to be different. We were going to try to try to work towards that direction. So um, I, I guess the, the answer to why is it's kind of a personality trait that my wife and I have and what we love to do. And I, I can't say that we've completely gotten there yet, but we're finally getting to that stage where we have some staff in place where uh, we can take a step away from a lot of the day-to-day. Uh, myself, more so right now than Lauren, she's she's been able to to take a step away from some of the financial grinds that she would have and is taking that mentorship leadership role with our staff. And I'm working more from the outside of, of, of trying to, to help people outside. So we're, we're slowly getting there. So, so let me ask you this question then, Bill. May, um, <clears throat> what were maybe some maybe business books or something like that that you guys may have been reading to kind of help get you prepared to kind of uh, make farm to feet, try to make it a reality from from take it out of take it out of from concept to reality, take it out of your mind and make it you know start being able to build it. Well, I won't speak for Lauren, but um, for myself, I'm I'm kind of the ADD guy. So uh, my my challenge with with for me with business books is that I start to get into them, and you know, usually within the third page, there's a great idea, and I all of a sudden I got a piece of paper, and I'm I'm frantically writing notes down on how I can implement stuff, and um, next thing you know, I've, I've spent an hour on some idea I got from the book and uh, three pages into the book. Uh, but in terms of from an overall direction, mentorship things and things that, that have driven me, um, yeah, I, I'm a, you know, controversial side of things, I guess you could say, cause you know, some these little controversials, I'm a, I'm a fan of James Arthur Ray, um, in his overall, some of his overall philosophies. And there's a lot of, a lot of, um, if you want to say, uh, these, these people that help you focus in on, on the right things. A lot of, uh, men and women out there that do that for some reason, I, I've just easily connected with him actually have hired him as my mentor. So he helps me stay focused on some of the right things. um, also, I'm I'm more of focused on, I would say, more of the shotgun scatter approach. Uh, great example would be when I was in the truck, I listened to financial conference calls constantly. If Landstar uh, had the report coming out and they were going to be talking to the financial analyst, I was in the truck. I was listening to that phone call and I was trying to trying to glean as much information as I could. I, I found that I learned more about uh, where the direction of the industry was going by uh, their answers to some of the analysts out there. Uh, so 
I pulled a lot of information more, I guess you could say more from uh, articles and the web uh, and then, uh, you know, individual mentors and I did necessary specific books. Uh, but that's that's kind of my personality. Now, my wife, her Kindle, there's probably 2,000 books on her Kindle. So, uh, you know, she <laughs> she can spend a whole hour going <laughs> through all the different things that she does. We're just, we're, we're yin and yang in terms of that respect. We're going to have to get Lauren to give us, a, uh, give us some book recommendations. We might start the book club or something. Uh, but yeah. I always find, I try to more try to make that an emphasis on, on, on the podcast now when I have people on it. Is maybe get some uh, some different books that they may have read, or uh, some things that they did early on to kind of help uh, crystallize and, and uh, give them some ideas and, and things to implement to their business. Because we have a bunch of people that that may be listening in tonight that uh, you know have aspirations of maybe uh, growing their fleet of or doing something bigger and better than what they're currently doing. And it's always uh, like you said earlier. Uh, there is, you know, secret, there is no success. Another quote that I love is that, uh, you know, success leaves footprints. It's easy to follow, uh, someone that has been successful because, you know, just follow what they did. You don't really have right. to reinvent the wheel. Uh, it's, it's just, just follow along with what, what was already built. Uh, we had a call on, uh, we got a few people and I'm waiting, uh, for them to get screened out, but this, this one particular caller is, he dropped on the line, but I saw his question and where I was going to lead into it. But he wanted me to ask you, uh, or he wanted to ask you, what did you mean by buying a job, which is a great, great question. Okay. Real quick, just kind of fall back up to the questions. To give you an idea of the type of, of my mentality in building the business, uh, Michael Lewis, who wrote the book Liars, uh, Poker, uh, The Big Short, um, The Blind Side, um, gets very deep into actually what happened in financial crisis or different areas. I'm much more of a, the news can throw a whole bunch of stuff out there uh, to you, but find out what really happened. Find out what really takes place um, from our business. Learn what really happens in a brokerage. Don't think it's a guy with a phone and a fax machine and that's all they do. Uh, learn about these businesses. So uh, I'll say that Michael Lewis's books, these are the books that I read straight through and I'll probably, you know, be up till four in the morning reading because I'm, yeah, I'm just getting so much just facts, factual information rather than news reports that are, um, biased. But, um, what I meant coming back to the question, what I meant by buying a job, there are so many, uh, so many older operators out there that have gone out, they've, they've purchased a truck, they maybe they've on a piece of paper they they put down the numbers on what their operating costs are, uh, and that's that's the extent of what they've actually done. Uh, they are leased onto a carrier that is paying them a flat mileage plus fuel surcharge. Maybe they get you know some extra money if they unload, but they essentially they have to run the wheels off if they want to make more money or they have to figure out how to make their operation more efficient. Now, I'm not, I, I, regardless of what you're making, making your operation as efficient as possible, reducing your, your operating costs, I think is a critical key component. Uh, it, it's as important as also looking at how you can maximize the revenue. And these people that I say have bought a job is, they don't even stop to think about maximizing revenue. Essentially what they've done is they've changed over from um, a company driver where they're getting paid so much per mile. They've increased that revenue per mile and they've taken on all the expense of, of that. And there's no better example of, of how those, those people know that mentality have gotten hurt this past year as what has happened with the rates. You could have fallen out right. of your truck last year and gotten a good rate. It didn't take any special uh, special type of skills that I know you talk about as far as within your show and the things that I preach about. These are skills you need to be honing now while it's easy to get the rate uh, so that when things get tighter, uh, you're, you're, you're actually already on top of everybody else. But So these are people that have just gone out and they just run as somebody dispatches them. They, 
all they focus on is is miles, miles, miles. Now, I'm, I'm gonna the caveat I'm gonna say here is that I'm a big believer that there's not necessarily a wrong or right answer in general. Uh, the The mistakes that people make is they don't know, they don't they don't ask the questions, they don't understand the various different business models, so they don't understand the difference between what it is to run as a mileage-based driver versus going and running for a company like myself or, let's say, like Landstar or Mercer, where you're actually able to go out and pick your own loads, run on a percentage, make decisions for yourself. These business models may be the absolute worst thing in the world for somebody. But if you don't know that, then, then who knows? You don't know that that's bad or good. So that's what I mean by as far as someone bought themselves a job. Right. And, and I agree. And, and a, a really good way, um, actually, I just finished up reading uh, Michael Gerber's The E-Myth Revisited, and he breaks that down. I mean, he goes into, you know, kind of goes into depth on explaining that whole aspect. And, um, you know, because people get into the position where uh, we're going to fire the boss. We don't need the boss. We know what to do, <laughs> right? And you turn, and it turns into you act like say you buy the you buy the job, and it becomes the worst job ever because now you, you don't have any vacation, you don't have you know you're ill prepared to do the job of being the boss, uh, which your job as the boss is to find out what it is that you need to know and what you don't know, and learning what it is that you don't know so that you can improve. Um. So those are critical aspects, and um, we talked a little bit about your business model, and went and went in depth on that a little bit. Uh, I see someone with their hand up. I'm not sure if my my daughter is watching my my, my calling board, so I'm just going to go let this caller get a chance to get his question in. Uh, caller from the four seven zero area code. You're on live with Rico and Bill. What and is your question? How can we help? Yeah, I put it on your desk. It's on the corner of your desk by your door. Hello, caller. Hello, caller. Are you there? Hey. Oh, we're hey. back on hold. <laughs> Live radio. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. Well, my next question, though, I was going to go lead into the discussion that I talked to you about the other day. I seen a post that you had up on Facebook, and um, we kind of been already dabbling on it a little bit. Um, but I see you had a great post talking about the spot market and how you kind of equated that to being uh, a poker player. And I thought that was a really great analogy because there are, not to pick on our friends that love running the spot market, as long as you are get educated and understand what's going to be needed to be successful and strictly just running wild and doing the spot market, um, but but I've just had a real concern because I've been getting a lot of messages from people that are just really want to know when this thing's going to turn around and this, that, and the other. And like it talked about in the DAT report, typically this is the slow period of the year. This is nothing new. And if you really are, uh, were adapt to running the spot market, you probably would have been saving up some money and been sipping, maybe listening to the show from Jamaica right now or somewhere on the beach, uh, knowing that <laughs> it's a slow time of the year. Uh, but you know, uh, but the analogy of the poker player, because there are guys that are professional poker players and make millions of dollars playing poker. Uh, but what separates them from, from the hacks that go around and just, you know, playing poker in the basement is they have a skill set about playing poker, even though there may be some luck involved, but they have a specific skill set to, to, uh, learning the different nuances of playing the game. And uh, maybe you can speak to us a little bit about those special nuances on if, if you're going to try to play in the spot market. Um, yeah, you know, that, that post that I had make, uh, made um, kind of came out of, um, of some meetings that I had up in Chicago. And um, what I found interesting, I mean, there's been no secret. I mean, you know, a year ago, January was a novelty. Uh, you know, the rate per mile. Everyone focuses on the rate per mile. Reality is, it comes down. It's it's really what your what your profit is, how much you keep. 
but everyone was so excited about last year's rate per mile. What they forgot is their, their gross revenue and their, their profit for the for the month actually wasn't that great because they sat around so much, you know, dug into having to dig themselves out of snow. Uh, so what happened is the capacity got all out of whack, and if you just happened to be in the right markets at the right time, you could capitalize on that, which really plays back into the poker. Uh, and what I found interesting was that there, there's this, and this comes back to knowing your business model. It doesn't mean your business model is wrong, but if you don't know the downfalls of your business model, you, you wind up in a January where you're, you're wondering what happened. Uh, so these two different types of, of people who are out there playing the spot market, there's, there's one and it's the, the model that, that, that I, I would say I'm probably you know more in line with, which is the, you're still, it's relational. You're still trying to build a relationship with people. So when their freight goes from where they had 20 loads a week down to they have five, you're still one of their first phone calls. And yeah, maybe the rate isn't quite as good, but you are still running, you're still making money, you're still profitable, uh, even during the slow times because you've built relationships with people that have your the freight out there. Uh, those other 15 people that had loads during the, the peak time uh, are are sitting around scrambling, trying to find somebody else, trying to find a new customer that they've never worked with before and trying to convince them to get the, the good job. And when you take a step back into when there was 20 loads a week on a, from a particular customer, if you're that poker player that says, okay, I'm going to build a relationship. This is a fair rate. I'm getting good money right now versus the transactional, which is I have no concern about next week. I'm going to get as much money as I can from this person right now, and I'm going to make it hurt. Um, if you don't understand the, in that business model that you're you're going to lose three months down the road because you you run out of customers, then that's a problem. Now, if you understand that and you're going into that, and you realize when times get slow, you just sit back and you just you wait it out. Or listen, if I was going to be getting out of this business in two years, I'd be a transactional player. I'd be getting as much money as I could right now. The, the problem is people don't, don't understand and don't realize that when they're transactional based and they, they're not concerned about the relationship for the long term, that they've got no relationships to go back on when things get a little slower. Um, so it, that's kind of where I come back to what we were talking about as far as the playing the poker and the relational versus the transactional side of things. Um, hey, you know, we talk about, you know, like this, you know, these guys like Chris Ferguson or um, that are professional poker players or who's the big guy, what, Phil Gordon? Um, you know, here uh, are guys are professional yeah. Po- yeah. I mean, these guys take big risks, but recognize that I would be willing to bet. I don't know that business that well, but I'd be willing to bet from what I've watched is none of them go into these big tournaments before they sit down, they've made money because they've got sponsorships. They've got people that have paid for their hotels are probably uh, being paid to go to, to private uh, functions after the event to, to meet and greet corporate sponsors. So they're making money before the, the tournament even starts. Now, you know, their pressure, yes, they want to win the tournament because they're competitive, but their their pressure then is I gotta keep showing uh showing strong in these tournaments so that sponsorship money keeps coming. Um you know, so it's that that you can play poker but understand the business behind everything because it's not just what you see. It's there's a lot that goes on in the back that that it actually is as profitable, if not more profitable than just that that single transaction or that single game that you're playing. That's a great point. That is a great point. And I, I kind of wanted to, because I'm kind of, you know, um, my, my, my partner, Kenny Long, he has a show, uh, his shows yesterday. And, um, and Kenny's telling people, and he's getting people educated as far as being able to go out and get their own authority. And I think that that's great to know how to do that and, and kind of, um, uh, learning all the ins and outs of being able to get it, your authority and everything yourself. 
And he's also educating people um, out to a couple of different nuances when it, when it comes down to having your own authority. But I think that some people may want to take a step back and reevaluate before taking the, the, the plunge in getting your own authority. Because, uh, you know, going back to the analogy of buying yourself a job, there's a lot more intricate and new, different nuances that come along with having your own authority. That that and some of the you know I, I I for one I jumped in and got my own authority right right off the bat uh, when I, I left right from being company driver right to having my own authority. And I, hey, a lot of the stuff I have had to learn on the fly, and and I was not I was not prepared, but I was determined that I was going to try my best to learn all the things that. I don't know, and I'm still learning. By no means am I trying to say that I have mastered it all. <laughs> but right. uh, what I'm what I'm saying that to say this is is to to try to insulate yourself from the woes of, of if you're going to go out there and get your own authority, and don't just become the spot market player. I highly recommend uh, to insulate yourself from a little bit of the downfall when it slows down. Get you some customers. Get a defined uh, service area. If you're just a small guy or something, you know, kind of take more of the variables out of um, things that could go wrong uh, versus, you know, getting caught and getting stuck out there. And you have, um, <clears throat> you're at the, and now you're, versus the broker being at the mercy of the market, now you're the person at the mercy of the market. And it's not so it's not so fun when the rabbit got the gun at the same goes. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, it's so, a, you know the, the one thing I thought we were talking about buying a job is you know as an owner operator, uh, and it's it's interesting how many people will will argue with me over this is that uh, driving the truck is a task of your business. Uh, it may be the most time consuming task. But it's just a task. It, it, I have never. I, I can't even. I can't even tell you. Can't even count how many tens of thousands of loads my company has booked over the years. And I cannot remember a single time a load was booked where the person came, where we were booking the load, and they said, "We want to make sure we have the truck driver that has the best driving skills available." Nobody has ever asked us for that. They ask us for customer service, for communication, for on-time delivery, for professionalism. Um, never is it about can you can the person outdrive anyone? Can they win a driving championship? Um, right. And I, that's a piece that, I, especially if you're going to be an independent owner operator, you really need to understand that you need to master the business skills. And you need to continue to learn. You need to continue to watch the changes that are taking place in the marketplace. The business I started a little over four years ago is vastly different. Even if we only had five trucks, it was just me. I'd be running my business completely different today than I was five years ago. Um, and but if you're if you're stuck in the old mentality of I'm a truck driver, and you're going to pay me to pick up to point A and deliver to point B and leave me alone then stay a company driver, stay leased onto a company that dispatches you and has a box in your truck that's going to tell them what's going on and can communicate with you because you don't get past that. You're, you're doomed. You know, it's just a, it's a slow failure. You know, it's, um, Amen. you know, you talk, um, uh, you were talking about, uh, Michael uh, Gerber. So it's one of his great quotes, uh, um, that I love that he says, um, you know, entrepreneurs, if they don't fail outright, most businesses fail to fully achieve their potential. Um, right. It's because they don't know how to build, build their company. Uh, and, and, and that's what works. What, you know, that's such a key component there. So. Which, which kind of leads me into my next question for you, Bill is, or, or maybe can you maybe share with us, and once again, guys, don't let me, uh, I, I got questions for days, but I don't want to take it out of the fun. You guys, you know, uh, Bill is here, and, and he's willing to be uh, asked any question that you guys may have, uh, uh, and, and just get online, just press number one, 
and get up, and they'll put you, they'll notify us to come to you in the queue, and we'll get you right on. We got a ton of calls on the line tonight, but uh, maybe you can give us some examples, Bill, of some strategies versus tactics. You know, tactics is you know, like you say, driving the truck from point A to point B. What are some different strategies that people that have aspirations of trying to, okay, I want to try to take my business to the next level. I want to try to grow my my company, my fleet. What are some different strategies that you might be able to share to help some of uh, some of the listeners implement to to kind of get them on further down the road? Um, I, the biggest one that I think that anybody can do, and it's easy, it doesn't cost you any money, uh, is how can I help you? Just ask them a simple question. Uh, to if you call up a customer and maybe they have no freight for you right now, and you ask that simple question, well, how can I help you? Is there anything else I can help you with? Maybe who knows what they're going to say. If you constantly have your mind open to how you can help people, whether it's a customer, whether it's another owner-operator, this this podcast, this show right here is a great example of that. It's, you know, you, you Rico are asking, how can you help people? You, you are building a network of, of people with the same mindset that if you have a customer, that you ask that question and who knows, maybe they turn around and, and there's something that farm to fleet can do for them. You can refer farm to fleet to them. You've just helped them with the problem. They're going to remember you the next time things come around. Um, so that's probably one of the, the biggest strategies is, is to to see how you can help and how you can work with customers. Um, taking things a little deeper uh, than that, some uh, some things that have worked for us and that we continue to do. Uh, about a year into this, where we only had a handful of people, um, Laura and I got on a road trip and we had a couple of customers that we were making. Um, good money with, running a lot of loads with. Uh, we went out there, we visited these customers. And these weren't necessarily huge customers, maybe two people in an office. Um, no carrier had ever, in one case, no carrier had ever stopped in to meet with them. Um, wow. We learned a lot of it. This funny, interesting piece we learned in that one meeting was uh, our drivers communicated with them constantly by email. And uh, we learned that that communication by email was what set us apart. They never had to worry about it. They actually had a person that was out of Atlanta in a different area that took the night shift. She was the hardest person to please. They, they hated the mornings when they got the turnover from her because all they had was complaint after complaint after complaint about these drivers. And, um, consistently she raved about our drivers. So, uh, you know, we, that was something had we not gone in front of the customer, we never would have learned that. We never would have learned how important those email communications were. Um, so getting out and visiting customers, um, say recognize it when you make a mistake. Um, it seems to be, that seems to be one of the, one of the big ones that doesn't have there is that you make a mistake. We send a handwritten card. Uh, I'm on that handwritten cards. When's the last time any of us have, have received a handwritten card? And I bet if you've received one in the past year, you remember it, but we probably right. all have received, um, Hey, thank you via email. You know, I, you know, several times a day I see, I see different things come across email from people as far as, complimenting our drivers or something that has happened in our office. Uh, I, I can vividly remember the thank you card and the gift that one of our drivers actually up on our Facebook page uh, right now, one of our drivers got from one of our customers for, for the great work that they had done. We remember those things. So setting yourself aside and, and setting yourself out and thank you notes are an inexpensive, cheap way to do it. You can do it from your truck pretty easy. All truck stops have mail mail slots you just drop a, a simple thank you note it only has to be a line doesn't you don't have to be some, some great orator <laughs> just jot down hey thanks for the business look forward to working with you again so right right and 
Um, man, like I said, time is really flying. Time is really flying. Uh, got, um, let's see. Got a caller has a question here. Let's go to caller George is joining us. George, you're on live with Bill and Rico. How can we help or what's your question? Hey, Rico, Bill, it's George Heck. How are you? <laughs> Good, George. How are you? Good. Hey, you know, one thing I want to share, and this is from, from my background in sales, and, and Bill elaborated on it, but I don't think enough people in this industry realize that Customers in transportation settle for mediocre service. They think that in trucking and transportation, this is as good as it gets. This is when the truck's going to be here. If he's late, oh, well, that happens. And, Bill, your, your discussion and talk about communication, it puts them at ease. That is exactly what has worked for me for communication. Um, I'm not going to go crazy on any sort of tracking because I don't need it, but if somebody needs a, to know where I am, call me. Let them know. Send them a text. If you're moving something, I mean, you don't know that more. You know that more of what I do is a specialized side. Every night, I'll send them a text. I have their personal cell saying, "Hey, I'm in Chattanooga, all set for tomorrow morning." You know, uh, what just, I'll say about you know, it's so easy. Right. Well, I'll say this: what I know about you, or I feel I know about you, George. If one of your customers came to you and said, "Hey, what would it take for me to get?" Uh, instantaneous, I know where you're at every second of the day, you would come back with a solution and a price to let them track their your movement every second of the day if the customer asked for it. If, <laughs> it yeah, if, if that's what they wanted, that that's what they would get. Because remember, you know, there's two rules of customer service. Rule number one is the customer's always right. Rule number two is if the customer's wrong, refer to rule number one. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I mean, I don't want to take a, a, a ton from you guys. and But, I mean, it just, it, you know, it comes down to, you know, I remember, you know, being at the CMC and seeing Larry Wingett. You know, be nice. You know, th- this industry, and I witnessed it for so many years, you know, where people, you know, they, they just, I don't know how best to put it, just were like, well, this is trucking, this is how it is. No, it's not how it is. And if you set yourself right. apart... You will just, you know, just, you'll be passing up freight every week. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, back, back in my, um, I was going to say, back, back to when I was, uh, you know, my harsher, more snarkier days, I, I would, I used to, when people would come back and, and talk about all, you know, tracking or, or, or phone calls or emails, I, my response used to be, Thank you for setting the bar so low. You make making a profit easy in this business. <laughs> it's, it just seems it's just the bar is set so low for customer service in this industry. If if you just have a little bit of focus on customer service, you can do you can do extremely well. Yeah, Bill, you you you've nailed it there. And and with my background in the LTL sales side, the the customer service level was poor there too. Yeah. You know, I remember we would have VPs and CEOs come in saying, well, we're going to make it better. The phone only rings twice. Well, fine. The phone rang twice, but you still didn't take care of my problem. Customers want to know what's going on, and it's not hard to share that. Right, right. And it kind of leads me, uh, Bill kind of tipped his hand a little bit was uh, saying about George with the tracking service. Are kind of going to lead into a little bit of a discussion that we had, Bill. You talking about uh, some new software or something that you guys are developing? You want to share that information with us? Yeah, um, we, this really kind of came out of uh, you know, as far as the growth. Anybody, if you've priced out anything in terms of transportation management system, or you hear people talk about TMS, so the the TMWs, the McLeods of the world out there. Um, it's not cheap. It's uh, you can't walk into uh, Staples and buy it off the shelf. It's uh, software is expensive, implementation is expensive, maintenance is expensive. Um, so, I, as a growing carrier, it's been one of those um, probably the biggest challenges we've had uh, had to address. So, we've been constantly looking at how to how to go to the next stage in terms of what we have internally. Um, uh, I always say, as far as uh, you know, people ask us about our business model, and the 
you know, for trucking and for owner operators, the easiest way for me to explain it is, well, we're, we're like Landstar. Uh, where we allow our drivers to pick their own freight. And then I say, and, you know, people say, well, what's the difference? And I say, well, you know, we don't have 7,000 trucks. I've got a bunch of zeros missing from my balance sheet. I don't have my own load board. Um, so that, that final one, I, I don't expect to ever get to the, the level of Landstar numbers of trucks, and uh, I, I don't expect the number of zeros to ever, you know, come close to theirs on my balance sheet. But um, in the back of my mind, I always said I want to have our own load board. I have customers that want to, you know, just have freight that's just, available to our drivers first and foremost. And we've been pushing for that. So we we're finally getting to that point. I signed the contract earlier this week. Uh, we're getting to some of the final implementation and testing stages of it. But what's more exciting about that is that the, the technology um, gives us the ability to where just even outside of farm to fleet to where we can almost work like, uh, like the Uber of, of trucking. And um, I think it's naive. I, I know there are organizations out there that are trying to, to do Uber of trucking, but it's a little naive in terms of, of our industry to think that we can, um, that you, you can actually do it in the same fashion. But that, that ability for a, a customer, once they've moved through their core carriers, to, to take a look at what capacity is out there in the market to have the market um, come back or have a capacity come back and say, this is what I'm looking to do. Here's my price range, what I'm looking to do and match up truck trucks and freight uh, and be able to do all this in terms of electronically. Um, we're actually, I'm glad to say we're, we're bringing that technology out there. Now, are we going to be able to capitalize it on the level? I'm, I'm not sure yet, but having the ability to do that, I, I think is where the next level of taking an owner operator and small carriers and, you know, to George where he talks about as far as getting direct freight and going out there, uh, the challenge for small carriers is they just have no chance. These large companies, they, they cannot manage hundreds or thousands of carriers. They want to manage five, six, seven carriers and then uh, excess freight they'll stick off to a broker. Uh, so what we're looking to do is we're looking to actually uh, give these companies a, a glimpse below the surface. So if you, if you look at all the capacities in iceberg, these companies only see the, see the carriers that are above the surface of the water. There's a ton of capacity that lies below the surface of the water that just does not have the ability to, to to go work with these customers and the customers don't have the resources in order to work with the carrier. So we're kind of bringing that technology in place to where we can actually uh, allow the, allow the customers to, to see high quality capacity that they never would be able to work with. So it, it's, I hate to I hate to use the words transparency because I think that's so overused. I believe it's abused out there. People talking about cutting middlemen out. And, you know, if you listen to some of these companies and you do the math, you, you would think that the carrier is getting 20% of what the, the shipper's paying for the freight. Uh, and we just know from financial reports of public brokerages that's not the case. Um, the problem is is that these, these can't get access to that quality carrier out there. And there needs to be a way where that can match up in a, an orderly fashion. So that's what we're, we're bringing to bring to the market here in the, hopefully in the next couple months. That's some good stuff. That's, that's exciting as well. So Bill, we're coming close to that, uh, critical five minute mark. Want to give right. you an opportunity to, uh, get a chance to uh, maybe give your contact information out if there's someone listening. Um, of course, the show is a podcast, so it's going to be downloaded uh, a few a few times. And we've, we've got a little bit of reach out there, but, you know, maybe someone that may have an interest of uh, maybe joining on with you guys and, and finding out what more Farm to Fleet may have to offer since you guys just won the 2015, one of the 2015 best fleets to drive for, they might be looking for a new home. So uh, give you an opportunity to kind of, 
uh, plug away and, and, and tell some more about yourself and, and how people can get in contact with you. Sure. Well, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're like anybody. We have our, um, we have our, uh, our website, farm com. That's, uh, F A R M, the number two and fleet, F L E E T dot com. Uh, our big, probably the best way to get information from us is actually from Facebook. Uh, if you just, uh, look for Farm to Fleet and you like our page on there. I would love everybody to go out and, and like uh, like us on, on Facebook. We I, I'm monitoring our position to all 20, get a little insight into my sick mind here, all the 20 carriers that want best fleets to drive for, and we're currently sitting in position number six in terms of likes out of the 20. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping by the end of next week we're sitting in position number two, um, one in, or position number three. One and two are quite a ways away from us. So, uh, but going like I said, there's a lot. That's where a lot of our information is. Uh, our different meetings, um, be able to find out whether or not we actually uh, in March whether we win actually the the top uh, small carrier award, which is the the next stage of this uh, twenty. 20 best fleets. Um, so, you know, a lot of information there. You're welcome to call. Uh, we have a uh, business development uh, program here. We have a driver development program. Uh, one of the things that we started this year as far as it, that I think is, is very different is, um, you know, my wife says I overuse this too much is I believe recruiter is Latin for liar. Um, I don't know any, any drivers out there that, that like the recruiter that, that they ever talked with. It seems like as, as soon as you make it to orientation, uh, that door is slammed and there, there's crickets coming uh, you know, from the other side of the door. You can't get a hold of them. And the fleet manager is, well, I'm not sure why they told you that. You can't get home that, current, that soon or we're not sending you straight home or whatever, whatever else is out there. So um, me letting loose of not talking to every driver uh, and that came to, came through the door here before they come here was a, a bit of a, a challenge for me. But I, I found a person who I trust completely. Uh, I get great feedback. I know he doesn't lie to the drivers. Uh, but we still have to take it to that next stage. So what we've done is the person, when you call in and you talk to Farm to Fleet, uh, the driver developer, they'll give you the information that will make sure that you're a right fit. It's expensive for us to bring a driver on. It's expensive for a driver to change carriers. We do not want that failure on either side, more so from the driver's side. I, I don't want that on my conscience, that I, I damaged somebody's financial well-being because they came to us and it wasn't the right fit. So the driver development's job is to make sure it's a good fit on both sides, go through the qualification, be in orientation with, uh, it's really a business development class, uh, with the, the new owner operators, and then they are the person that is going to work with the owner operator uh, through the first weeks and hopefully weeks and not months uh, as they're as they're a part of our our organization, making sure that they understand how settlements work, how the um, making sure the paperwork is submitted properly. Uh, they know how to work with the customers, negotiate their own freight, learn the markets, all, all the things that it takes to be a, an owner-operator in our business model. Uh, they've got their checklist they have to go through. Once they go through that checklist and all the people in our organizations that, are, um, that sign off on it and the owner-operator says, yes, I'm ready to make that next stage, that's when that person is, is done directly working not when they show up for an orientation. It's once they're, they've been on board with the company and they're comfortable and they're doing things the way they need to to be successful. So um, if you're interested in information on Farm to Fleet, you're going to talk to one of our driver developers and uh, that'll be, you can, you can trust that, that they're going to be as honest and forthright as they can because if they're not, they're the ones that have to deal with you <laughs> once, once you start running for us because uh, they're, they're your first call every day and your last call every night. So um, that's kind of what we're doing there. So it looks like we're running out of time here. So I think I've filled up all that five minutes. <laughs> that's quite all right. Well, we just want to thank you guys for coming on, being a guest on the Racing Lane podcast. 
We would like to extend our thanks to everyone that helped make this podcast possible. Uh, of course, we want to thank Kevin Rutherford, Lisa Rutherford, and the entire Let's Truck team. Uh, tomorrow night, Chad Boblett is going to be having his podcast, Brokers and Beyond, and his his special guest tomorrow will be actually someone I actually attended uh, attended their training seminar will be uh, um, John Dwinell, uh, the load training uh, from uh, Freight Broker and Training School, um, loadtraining.com. John Donnell will be joining Chad Bobbitt tomorrow on Brokers and Beyond. That, that, that ought to be a really good show, really informative. Uh, so check out Brokers and Beyond tomorrow. And also remember uh, Kenny uh, Long, his, his show comes on. Um, was we, Actually, his show was yesterday. And um, his show is every Tuesday. So be sure to check out Kenny Long. Um, his show is every Tuesday. And I think we got more podcasts coming up on board. We got... Uh, um, Mike Beckett is going to be starting his podcast here soon, and also Kim is going to be having her podcast, Destination Health, on Fridays. So with that said, we'd like to thank everyone. God bless you, and good night. All right, thank you. Thanks again, Bill. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-PUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.